HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My Family Recipe is a new podcast from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network, bringing you cherished heirloom recipes and the stories behind them. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for lunch. Welcome to Time for Lunch. This is a place to learn about eating, cooking, enjoying, and sometimes playing with your food. Each episode, we cover a new subject. I'm Hannah Forden. And I'm Harry Rosenblum. Tune in for food, fun, and flavor. We have a special guest here for lunch today, and it's up to you to guess who they are and what the theme of today's episode is. Are you ready? Hey, special guest. Thanks for joining us today. A few questions. Are you a food a concept, or an object? I'm a food. Okay, yum. At what meal might I find you? I'm usually a dinner food, but I can also appear in sandwiches, soups, and more. Hmm, some of my favorite things. Okay, hmm, okay, I'm thinking about the time of year. Are you associated with a holiday? I am. As you'll hear later in this episode, I was also a candidate for the national bird here in the United States of America, but that darn eagle got that honor instead. Oh, controversy. Okay, I think I have an idea. One more question. Would I be correct in saying that you're often served with stuffing, sweet potatoes, and gravy? That's right, but I'm much more versatile than that. Oh, I know, and I'm sure our listeners know what you are. I'm sure that by now everyone knows that we are talking turkey today. Thanksgiving is coming up, and of course, turkey is served at many tables in the U.S. for Thanksgiving. People have all sorts of ways that they like to cook it. Some roast it, some deep fry it, some smoke it. How do you like to cook it, Harry? I've done it all sorts of ways. I do love smoked turkey, but sometimes that's a lot of preparation. So classic roasting is sometimes easier. One thing that I always do is debone the turkey. Whoa, really? How does that work? Well, if you take out all the bones before cooking it, then you can stuff it with stuffing, and carving is much easier since there's no bones to worry about. It also cooks much faster. 
I learned how to debone a turkey from my aunt when I was a teenager, and now, no matter how I cook it, I always debone it first. And then you can take all the bones and use them to make stock. What about you, Hannah? How do you cook turkey? I also love making turkey stock. Um, So I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but I was vegetarian until I was about 12 years old. So a lot of the Thanksgiving of my early memories were all about the sides. Turkey is kind of a new thing for me. And I still get really excited when I get to eat it. So now that I eat meat and this year I'm going to be hosting Thanksgiving at my house, I like to dry brine it. So I cover my turkey with salt and pepper and any other yummy spices that I want it to be cooked with. And I let it hang out in the fridge and dry out and soak in all of the flavors. And I find that that helps make the skin super crispy, which is one of my favorite parts of turkey. It's true. Some of the other methods like smoking the turkey, you don't always get a crispy skin. What do you call a running turkey? What do you call a running turkey? Fast food. Now it's time for our question of the day. The answer to this question is somewhere in the episode. So listen carefully. How fast can a turkey run? (laughs) I can't wait to hear the answer. Keep an ear out. As you might imagine, we have talked about turkey on lots of shows here at Heritage Radio Network. Listeners, have you ever heard of a turducken? Ever heard of turducken? A turducky? Like a turkey duck? It's a roasted chicken inside a duck inside a turkey. We asked eight New Yorkers about this unconventional holiday food. Most hadn't even heard of it, and the ones who did had this to say. Yeah, but I've never actually seen it, and it's like kind of like Bigfoot. I have heard of turducken, and would I eat it? Probably not. It seems a little wrong to eat something, an animal that's stuffed inside of another animal and then sewn up. That seems like a Frankenstein-type food. Okay, the general opinion was that turducken is weird. At least some people were open to trying it. It sounds interesting, and I've never tried it before, so why not? Um, that would be different, but I would definitely try it out if Big Mama's seasoning it. (laughs) Who deserves credit for the turducken? Louisiana chef Paul Prudhomme is rumored to have invented the turducken in the 1960s in Wyoming. Even though he trademarked it in 1986, the culinary community isn't convinced that he created it. The practice of cooking meat within meat dates back to the 15th century. That was from another show I work on called Meat and Three. You can check it out wherever you like to listen to podcasts or at heritageradionetwork.org. I have six. Six. Six varieties. Um, There are eight that were accepted by the American Poultry Association as standard bread, the real name for heritage. Um, and But there was five originals uh, that were brought in as purebred back in 1873. And I have four of those five originals. You know, turkeys or whatever you have, whether they're white or red or black or bronze or whatever, they are the product of the farmer. The color of the feathers isn't going to change the taste of the turkey nor the attitude of the turkey. Uh, it, it's what I decide to choose. 
Mm -hmm. I'm the the keeper right. uh, of the quality of that animal and the quality of its life. And there's multiple things that cause that turkey to taste different, to act different, and everything. Um, so no, now if I if you if you're talking about what do I want to make sure is the most important to preserve, sure, would be the bronze, That's the it. old standard bred bronze, uh, because they carry the key to everything. They are the originals. They have all their the the genetics carries the key to make a Narragansett, to make a bourbon uh. red, to make a white turkey. Your modern industrial factory turkeys. Their ancestors 50, 60 years ago was the bronze. I always tell people, the Native Americans, especially in the South and Mexico, Central America, they've had domesticated turkeys for thousands of years. But in 1492, Columbus came, he actually went into Mexico, not America, in Central America. He got a bunch of turkeys from the natives there. He took them to Portugal, gave them to the king. They were a huge hit. They got spread through Spain, Portugal, and then the, the Pope got some. And then they went to England, and then the people from England, the pilgrims, brought turkeys with them on their boats. Got it. Back to New England, to New York. That was Frank Reese of Good Shepherd Poultry Ranch in an interview from my other podcast, Feast Your Ears, in 2018. Frank is one of a growing number of farmers working to maintain heritage breeds. If we want to save these breeds, we have to eat them. You can learn more at heritagefoods.com and goodshepherdconservancy.org. The turkey is such a funny-looking bird. I mean, it it, has this, it, is. <laughs> it really is. Uh, and I'm sorry to defame uh, turkey appearances, but, um, you know, it, it really does lend itself to uh, everybody knows what a turkey is and everyone has seen one and everyone um, looks at them and says, oh, that's really strange. And so, uh, consequently, that becomes very quickly a part of our uh, our, our common heritage of, of, of both fun and um, and serious things about Turkey. Ben Franklin did write a letter when he heard that the bald eagle had been selected as the symbol of America. Uh, he did write a letter saying, you really should have, that's, that's the symbol of European nobility, the bald eagle, what you really, the eagle was. So what you really need is a symbol like the turkey, which is a real American <laughs> bird. You pickle everything yeah, else. Why can't you pickle turkey? <laughs> well, the problem is you've got a big turkey. And um, uh, if, if it's just the two of you <laughs> sitting down and having some turkey, you're going to have a lot of turkey left over. And what do you do with that? And so uh, they, they, they developed all sorts of different things that they could do in order to uh, preserve it so it could be consumed at a future time. And people like the taste of pickle, uh, pickled uh, uh, food. So uh, it, it certainly is, is culturally a part of a number of uh, culinary traditions. Thanks to food historian Andrew Smith on the podcast A Taste of the Past with Linda Falaccio. I'm not so sure I want to eat pickled turkey, but maybe I'll make some, depending on how big our bird is this year. Now it's time for a turkeylicious dance party. <laughs> Welcome back. 
know that a wild turkey can run up to 25 miles per hour. That's pretty fast. Very fast. An adult turkey has more than 5,000 feathers. Wow. A turkey's gobble can be heard up to a mile away. Turkeys are native to North America, and wild turkeys can be found in every U.S. state except Alaska. Yep, I get to see them running around my yard sometimes, and they're super funny looking. The fleshy part that sort of hangs down over a male turkey's beak is called a snood. What a great word. Wild turkeys and farm turkeys are quite different from each other, but both make a great meal. Benjamin Franklin pushed for the adoption of the turkey as the national bird, not the bald eagle. Now, I've never eaten bald eagle, but because turkeys are so delicious, I kind of feel like they deserve that place. And honestly, I think the turkeys sound much cooler than bald eagles. Good food is worth a thousand words. This is Arthi Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you. My Family Recipe from Food 52 and Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food 52's much-loved column of the same name, the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it from voices across the world of food. We'd open these tubs of dough and they would exhaust these incredible yeasty fumes and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so intoxicating. I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love. Chinese people aren't like born with a download on how to like velvet chicken. You know, like that's not something that just like comes to you. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Leftovers. There's nothing like a turkey sandwich the day after Thanksgiving. If you're feeling like you've had enough turkey, check out this story about leftover sandwiches from our friend Peter. My name is Peter Kammerer, and I own the Sandwich Hut. The Sandwich Hut is a third-generation Italian-American sandwich shop located on North Main Street in Providence, Rhode Island. It was opened by my grandfather in 1963. When I think of Thanksgiving leftovers, I actually don't think of turkey and stuffing. Instead, I think of making a sandwich with leftovers from the elaborate antipasti that my mother always served upon arrival at Thanksgiving dinner. By the time this course was over, I didn't really need or care about turkey and the other requisite side dishes. And the next day, I was ready for more. My family also had the usual stuff at Thanksgiving dinner, but I always loved the Italian food the most. So the next day, there would always be leftovers from the antipasti. There would also be leftover Italian dinner rolls, which always arrived on the holiday in a paper bag, but were usually neglected because there was also a large loaf of sliced Italian bread. The antipasti also always consisted of some combination of the following. Sharp provolone, fresh mozzarella, chunks of Parmigiano-Reggiano, marinated mushrooms, roasted peppers, tuna in olive oil, stuffed cherry peppers, stuffed pepidou peppers, olives, 
basil pesto, lots of prosciutto and other types of salumi, marinated artichoke hearts, olive oil and balsamic vinegar with garlic and herbs, sun-dried tomatoes, and pepperoncini, among other things. So my Black Friday Thanksgiving leftover sandwich would be opening one of these leftover rolls and filling it with some combination of these rich foods, coupled maybe with some strejonet, my family's version of orecchiette and red sauce, made for a stellar Thanksgiving leftover lunch. Yum! Thank you, Peter. Okay, it's that time in the show where Harry and I take a minute to reflect on a bright spot from the last week or so. (sighs) I have one that comes to mind because it was recent and it was very tasty. I have some friends who live in a very old farmhouse and in their very old farmhouse, they have a special wood-burning oven in the wall of their kitchen that is meant for making bread and it gets really, really hot. And so we went over and had a really extravagant pizza night the other night. So we made like four different kinds of pizza and got to take it in and out of the oven, just like we were in a restaurant, except we were hanging out in our slippers. So that was super duper fun and super duper tasty. How about you, Harry? Oh, I saw that on your Instagram, Hannah, and it looked really delicious. And I was wondering where you were making that pizza. So now I know. I'm jealous. I wish that I had a pizza oven in my house. But hopefully next year I'll be building one outside. So that'll be cool too. For me, I would say, since we're talking about turkeys, that this time of year I feel like I see a lot of wildlife um, around at my house. And so one of the things that I've seen a lot of, we see deer and I see rabbits and stuff and, you know, a lot of flying birds, but wild turkeys seem to always be on the move this time of year. And so I feel like I see them behind my house in groupings. Usually there's like somewhere between four or five, six or eight of them. Um, but then just driving down the road the other day, I was driving down the road and I had to stop because there was a parade of turkeys that went right across the road. And I opened the window and I got to hear them make their gobble, 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 gobble sound. Yeah, I really love seeing turkeys out in the wild. More so, I mean, we all know that birds are actually dinosaurs, but I think turkeys more so than almost any other bird really look like dinosaurs. So it's always really fun to see them out and about because it's always kind of surprising because they're they're just so odd looking and so big. So listeners, if you live in, in in a rural area of the U.S., keep an eye out for some turkeys. They're really fun to watch. Speaking of dinosaurs, I'm going to throw a fun fact in here, even though we're past the fun fact section, which is that next time you are looking at the wishbone on a turkey or a chicken, and if you're making a wish on that wishbone, that shape and that bone actually traces all the way back to the dinosaurs. They had similar bones as well. Whoa. Can you imagine what kind of powerful wishing you could do on like a T-Rex wishbone? (laughs) we've teamed up with our buddies over at word bookstore to start talking more about books here on time for lunch this week they're recommending the last super chef by chris negron for as long as he can remember curtis pith has been obsessed with becoming a chef like lucas taylor the host of super chef and curtis has a secret taylor is actually his long absent father so When Taylor announces a kids-only season of Super Chef, Curtis finally sees his chance to meet his dad. But 
After Curtis wins a spot in the competition and arrives in New York to film the show, nothing goes as smoothly as expected. You can pick up a copy of The Last Super Chef at wordbookstores.com or your favorite local bookstore, or borrow it from your library. At the beginning of the episode, we asked, How fast can a turkey run? And the answer is, A wild turkey can run up to 25 miles per hour. Thanks for listening to Time for Lunch. We'll be back with more tasty stories. This show is written, produced, edited, and hosted by Harry Rosenblum and Hannah Forden, with engineering by Liam Warner. Music in this episode was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder, and our fun facts theme was created by our very own Liam Warner. Isaac Furman is our awesome intern. Special thanks this week to Peter Kammerer and his family at The Sandwich Hut. Time for Lunch is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Time for Lunch is also a part of Kids Listen, the number one app for finding great podcasts for kids of all ages. You can learn more at kidslisten.org, and you can download the app from iTunes or the Google Play Store. Time for Lunch is powered by Simplecast. And don't forget to please stay in touch, whether you have a joke you'd like to share or you just want to tell us your favorite side dish at Thanksgiving. We love to hear from our listeners. Send us your recipes, poems, book or podcast recommendations, or anything else you think we'd like. It's super easy to record yourself using the Voice Memo app on an iPhone. Ask your favorite grown-up to help you email us at timeforlunchpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to include your name, age, and your address so we can send you a little something in return. Time for Lunch is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with City Council. Thanks for listening.